We're in Matthew chapter 5. So here's the question I have to start with tonight, and you got to help me out. What makes you angry? What did you say? Bad drivers. I thought you said bathrooms for a minute, and I was a little concerned. Bad drivers. Miss Shirley Wilkinson says Roberts. Dumb people. When people don't follow through with what they say they're going to do, right? People that have uh, biased opinions about others based on school affiliation for no apparent reason would be one, obviously. What makes you angry that shouldn't probably make you angry? <laughs> Birds digging up your seeds in your garden. It's a mystery how they hone in on those things, right? They do. They just wish they'd find somewhere else to eat, right? Your neighbor's seeds would be fine. Right. Anybody else? Something that makes you angry that probably shouldn't. You know, there's an old saying. This isn't anger. It's worry. But there's an old saying. I don't know how accurate it is. That 80, I think it's 80% of what we worry about will never happen. 15% 15% we can't control. So that's a lot, right? 95%. We'll talk about anger tonight, but we're going to get there by going through a commandment that almost everybody thinks they understand, but apparently they didn't. And Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount where we are in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to let you all know something Quickly, I've got a full hour and 45-minute sermon prepared for you. But my family has had the uh, allergies that's turned into sinus congestion all week, and it has hit me this afternoon, so I may make it about halfway through and then just we'll cut it off. All right. So if, I, if y'all feel like I'm speeding up, that means my voice is going. So y'all just have to listen fast. Matthew chapter 5, we have gone through the kind of the preliminary stuff. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus is going to start really into the message proper. And here's what you have to understand. These are sections really where oftentimes we dive into a section of Scripture like we're going to tonight without remembering where it comes from. And particularly what we're going to talk about with murder and adultery and truth-telling and all of that. We kind of just dive in and talk about the murder, but we don't get back to what was there. And the reason that's important is because if you read this torn away from its context, you get the idea that Jesus is directly contradicting Old Testament law. But that's not what Jesus is doing. What was the scripture, the verse? We're going to start in verse 21. What's the scripture right before that? Verse 20, right? Y'all can do math there. What does that say? If your righteousness isn't better than Pharisees and the scribes. So here's what we have to understand. Jesus is going to quote scripture. In fact, he's going to quote part of the Ten Commandments. But even in the first one where he says, um, For you have heard it said, It has been told to you by those who are old, by the older generation, or by the ones that have come before, Do not murder or you will be in danger of judgment, right? That's what he says. Because that's what the original commandment says. It just says no murder, right? That other part at the end comes from numbers. So here's what Jesus is speaking against. 
He is not speaking against the Mosaic law and what it teaches. He is speaking against the way the Pharisees and the scribes have interpreted the Mosaic law. And that's a big difference. I believe that the Word of God is true in everything it says. I also believe that I make mistakes sometimes trying to explain what the Word of God says because I am a fallible human being. The Word itself is infallible. I am fallible. In fact, I... uh, I was looking for something today in a cabinet that I don't that I've just got stored stuff in here at the office. And I found the tape of my sermon in preaching lab in seminary. And I have decided not to ever watch it again. I didn't watch it today because I had flashbacks to those moments. And I think back to things that I taught when I was a teenager or a youngster or things that in my early days of preaching that I would teach that I now, I think, have a fuller understanding of. And I think, whoo, what was that? Why did I tell that story? Or why did I give that application? In fact, one of my seminary professors once said that I am firmly convinced that 80% of what I believe at any given time is absolutely true and right with God's Word. The problem is I never know what the 20% is. That's wrong. And so... Jesus is not contradicting the Old Testament. He is contradicting the Pharisees' interpretation of the Old Testament. You get that? That's a big difference there. All right? Because if you just take it out of context, it's like Jesus said, well, you've heard it said. Well, where does it say that? Well, it says it in Exodus. So Jesus is saying that it's not true what's in Exodus? No. What he's saying is, you've heard it said about what it says in Exodus, this. That's not true. And what we have to understand is what follows really for the rest of the sermon, but especially for the next six instances, is Jesus saying, this is how they have interpreted it, and it is wrong. Your righteousness has to be better than what they've told you. The people would have thought, the Pharisees have set up a standard for us that is completely unattainable. And Jesus says, congratulations, theirs is too easy. Verse 21. You have heard it said that it was to our ancestors. Remember, this is not a culture that reads or writes, so they would have heard it. Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. On the altar. And there you remember that your brother has something. Leave your gift. Go and be reconciled with your brother. Then come and go and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on your way with him. Your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer. And you'll be thrown into prison. And I assure you, you will never get out of there until the last penny is paid. You've heard it said, do not murder. Where does that come from originally? Ten Commandments, right? It's the most simple phrase that you could say no murder it is not in any way easily confused with what it's saying except that we confuse it quite often the hebrew language had several words for murder in fact the hebrew language 
used words specifically for killing or murder for different reasons. Eight different words were used in the Hebrew language for killing. And this one here is the word ratzak. And it's important to understand that because ratzak doesn't mean inadvertent killing. It means intentional taking of someone's life. Premeditated taking of someone's life. So what do we call that in our society? Premeditated taking of someone's life is murder. That's why the King James Version wasn't a great um, translation of this particular command because it means more than don't kill. It means don't murder. And there's a difference there. So if you just go back to the basic elements of what seems to be taught there in the Old Testament, the way that the Pharisees have got it, the way most of us think about it, what do you consider murder? What, what would you consider to be murder? The, the guy, yeah, the, here in Nashville area, over a nice section of town, a guy apparently, supposedly, allegedly, shot his wife. Somebody shot the lady, right? And they would consider that, they would consider that murder, homicide murder, right? What else? Okay. Not, not self-defense. Self-defense is, is not included in this, we would say. So intentionally taking someone else's life. What do you think, of, what, what else could be included there? I mean, because there we're thinking about the crime we see on the Channel 4, Channel 5, News 17, whatever particular flavor, two you watch at night. That comes on the headline story, so-and-so in East Nashville or South Nashville or North Nashville or West Nashville or wherever was shot and killed, okay? What other things do you think could be included here? Just in the original, don't murder. Yeah? See, that's a can of worms we don't want to open right now. Yeah, and I think most people think the general understanding of the Old Testament is that both would be covered there because there's an intentional, however momentary the intention is, if it's a momentary act of passion, there's still momentary intention. The courts in America would treat premeditation, I planned it for six months, as opposed to I caught my wife with somebody else and shot him. Uh, They would consider those different. For this particular word, those are synonymous. What about euthanasia? You know what euthanasia is? Not the kids that live on the continent. Right, not the youth in Asia, euthanasia, right? Mercy killing. Somebody that medically is having a difficult time and you say just it'd be better or society that says, hey, we we don't need to keep the cost going. Who's the kind of the poster child for better or for worse for euthanasia? Dr. Uh, Jack Kravorkian, right? I don't think he's still living. But I, I think he died naturally, not, I don't think. Physician-assisted suicide is what they call it. What about suicide? Yeah. You have intention to take life. It's yourself. Now, here's the thing that I would say about that, because actually suicide's kind of been in the news quite a bit in the Christian world in recent days, because perhaps the most famous pastor who's pastoring a church right now, his oldest son um, committed suicide recently, Rick Warren's son, Matthew, and uh, Rick has been hounded by the media about how a Christian 
son could do that. Um, and so I, let me just say real clearly, I don't think suicide is the unpardonable sin. I don't think it is the thing that prevents you from going to heaven. I believe that nothing prevents you to go from heaven if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from his love. And we get into a full discussion on that at some time. But I do think that it is, I think that it has included in this, even though it's taking your own life. It is snuffing out life. One more thing I'm thinking about. Abortion. Right? The killing of an innocent child. In fact, the most helpless that we have. Um, I don't know if any of you all followed this case in Pennsylvania, but it's horrific. Um, And that, I think, is included there. Here's what's interesting, though. Because even after you and I know what's coming next in this Sermon on the Mount, I mean, we know what Jesus is going to say, right? What what is he going to say? You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, what does he say? If you're angry, if you've hated somebody, it's the same thing. But as you and I sit here and we say, well, what's murder? What's I mean, we still think in the terms that the Pharisees thought, right? What is that phrase in the Old Testament, do not murder? Oh, that means don't kill anybody. And Jesus is going to expand their thinking to say all they care about is external obedience to the law and what they're trying to do is establish a law that they can follow. Here's what I've learned about human beings in general through my sons. If we are playing a board game that they are losing, they will change the rules in order to win. Anybody ever played with a kid and they've done that? Everybody played with their spouse and they've done that? All right? Where the, the game is being played and everything's going well and suddenly there's a new rule that comes on the scene. Well, the Pharisees are looking at the... Old Testament law and they're trying to say, how can we follow this? If this is what we have to do. Remember Paul, as of a Pharisee, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, as according to the law, he was blameless. Remember that was Paul said? That was before he met Christ, before he realized his sin. They were trying to establish a set of rules they could follow. And for them, I would think for most of us in this room, I would think for all of us in this room, and I won't ask for a show of hands, none of us have murdered somebody. If you have, I don't want to know about it right now. Okay? We haven't been a part of that. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people in our churches that haven't, especially when you bring, um, obviously not suicide in, but we've had people affected by suicide within our church, within our organization, and that, that is there. We very well may have people in our churches on Sunday mornings that have had abortions in their life or have made decisions about loved ones. But the Pharisees are thinking, they, we're trying to establish these things where we're okay. Remember the rich young ruler, right? Comes to Jesus, what do I do? And he names off the commandments. And Jesus you know, tells him a few and he says, what? no problem, I'm not a murderer, I'm not an adulterer. And what is he thinking in his mind? I've never killed anybody, I've never slept around on my wife got that checklist of external stuff. And Jesus has already told us in the Beatitudes and other stuff, no, it's deeper than that. It goes deeper than that. And so he goes to them and says, yours has to be better than what the Pharisees are telling you. That means you can't even have negative thoughts about people. 
everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. It's on the same level. The point is Jesus is making in this and almost everyone, in fact, this could be the number one point probably in the next several weeks, is this, that it matters more about your heart and what's inside than what the external says. Now, the truth is, Jesus knows if you get the internal right, guess what? Your external will follow. But it's about more than just external. In fact, I think it goes back to the Ten Commandments. This was originally intended for the Ten Commandments. It's not just that you don't go kill someone, that you become a group of people that value life, that look to how we can honor life. And so internally, you're not thinking poorly of other people. You're not devaluing their humanity. You're not speaking against who they are. You're not calling out other people. And as a result, Jesus and his father in the Israelite community was saying, I want you to be a people set apart for me. Not just that you are externally different in the way you react, but that internally because of who I am and who you follow, you are different people. So that hate isn't even a thought in your mind. So that anger is something that moves through your life. Here's the truth. We are all going to get angry. Right? How many people here have ever been angry? Right? We get angry. Some of you have been angry at people in this room. Sitting real close to you. Like next to you, right? Or across a pew or two. Not Miss Carolyn. Nobody in the room is ever angry. That's good. It's the old, uh, and I'll make quote this again next week, Billy Graham, one of my favorite quotes from Billy Graham. He was talking about temptation, and he said, I can't prevent a bird from flying over my head, but I can stop it from making a nest. We've had birds make a nest in our wreath this year on our front door. This week, the bird, baby birds flew away. We went through the whole process, the mama and the daddy building them. And we came to a point, they had built enough of the nest, we're like, we're not going to disrupt their nest now. We're just going to use this as an educational experience, and then we're throwing the wreath away, Right? It was one that was a little older, and it, I guess apparently it looked like a great place to put a nest. But we watched that whole thing, and it takes time to build the nest, and it takes time to lay the eggs. It takes time to hatch the babies. It takes time for the babies to grow. Now, it's not as long as you would think, because those babies are flying three or four weeks out of the egg. Billy Graham says, I, can, I can't stop it from flying over my head, but I can prevent it from building a nest. Anger is one of those things. We can't stop angry thoughts and feelings coming but we can prevent it from building a nest. How do people handle anger? How do they handle anger? What are some ways people handle anger? Yeah, some people express it, right? Not going to let it affect me, except I'm going to let people know. That's just who I am. You're going to know exactly how I feel. And you make me mad, I'm going to let you know I'm mad. I'm going to tell you I'm mad. I'm going to let you know it right then and right there. Some people are violently when they get angry. Immediately, they don't worry about repercussions or those kind of things. Or that stuff kind of just goes up. What's another way to handle anger? What's something else somebody does? They hold it in. They repress it. Just keep packing it in, packing it in, packing it in. Hold a grudge. Come bitter. Affects them spiritually, physically. We'll talk about spiritually in a minute. How? 
anger being held in is, is shown over studies and times that it just wrecks you physically, emotionally, relationally. What does Jesus say we need to do with our anger in this passage? You come to worship and as you're getting ready to lay your all, your gift on the offering, reconcile. By the way, do you notice that he says, go ahead and leave the offering at the church. Do you see that? Don't take it with you. I'll just go ahead and put that in the plate. And then, then you go, okay, leave it right there on the altar for everything. Y'all didn't know there's going to be a tithing message right here in the middle, right? He says, and this is an interesting thing. He says, if you're angry or if you're degrading people or if you're calling people names mentally, not just physically, but mentally, then there is a pipeline of your relationship with the Lord that is blocked because you've got this relationship on the earth that is blocked. And you need to take care of the relationship here so that the relationship with Him can be restored. That's what the whole giving of an offering, right, is about. The worship and celebration there. He says that anger or distrust or a broken relationship is one of those things that can harbor ill feelings and can prevent you from being able to communicate with the Lord as you ought to. A few weeks ago, we noticed our dishwasher wasn't draining like it was supposed to. And so I got down and cleaned the filters, pulled them out, got the filters all cleaned out, did it. And we were having to push drain like five times to just get the water out. One washing dish is good, and so called somebody over to look at it and we you know we're pulling the dishwasher out and we're looking at all the stuff and we look at every hose until the last hose we look at is the one that comes out from underneath the dishwasher that connects to the hose that connects to the garbage disposal the sink and there's this big black thing in it wad of something so we you know we start trying to get it out and trying to force it to go and without leaving any part behind and it finally flushes out. And it's a chicken bone. I assume it's chicken because we're not eating squab or anything all right, at our house. We're not even quail. We're just, we have chicken, right? And I have to think, well, how in the world did a chicken bone get in the dishwasher hose? It became very evident that immediately the water started flowing. I couldn't help but picturing that tonight in its nastiness when I thought about this picture of us with relationships that are strained or anger that is unresolved and we come to worship and it's like we got a chicken bone stuck in our dishwasher hose you didn't expect to hear that tonight either right it's just clogging up the relationship there are a lot of people in church that are way too angry to have a good relationship with the Lord Right? You've met them. You've talked with them. You've had conversation with them. They're just way too angry to have a decent relationship with the Lord. I'm not being judgmental. I'm being a fruit inspector. Right? What does it say the fruit of the Spirit is? Right? Hatred, backbiting, gossip, scowling. Is that in there? Oh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? 
Jesus says, listen, you've heard it said. We've talked about it. Your scribes and your Pharisees, they teach you, just don't kill anybody and you'll be okay. That's not really what the issue is. The issue is internal. And what I'm telling you is that if you even think hateful, angry thoughts about someone or to someone or say things to them that are derogatory and degrade their personhood, then you are in danger of the same thing as those who murder. He basically says, if you have hateful, angry thoughts, you are on par with a guy on death row. We don't think of it that way, do we? We don't think of it that way. We really haven't progressed much past the Pharisees. We put a good difference between those two. Everybody has a little disagreement sometimes. Everybody has somebody that gets under their skin. That's just a natural part of life. It's not what Jesus said. Now, he makes it real clear that you can repress it, you can express it, but the best thing is to restore the relationship. If you're trying to worship the Lord, you're trying to follow Him, if you're trying to be a passionately devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and yet you have people in your life with broken relationships and distrust and anger in your heart, you've got to get rid of that. Notice, by the way, you need to reconcile. You need to do all you can. You can't, and we, this goes back to what we worry about or what we get angry about. You can't control the other person's response. You know what I've seen sometimes is people say, well, I'm going to give them another chance. And they go and they tell them, I'm, you know, we got some issues and we got to talk this through. And they talk through and nothing gets resolved on the other end. And then they're angrier when they leave than when they got there. So what we have to do is we have to say, we are going to do all that we can to kind of clear that stuff out, clear that junk out, regardless of what the response on the other end is. I want to clear what's happening with me. I want you to think, this is just one little statement in. We've gone from the physical act of killing someone to thinking hateful thoughts about them. That's a major difference, right? I would guess, if I ask, how many of you have ever seriously contemplated killing someone physically? Uh, Well, I'm not going to ask that because I may not want to know the answer. But my guess is, I mean, seriously contemplated? No, 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 never. I would never do that. And you're honest about it. You're not making that up. No. But if I ask you how many of you have ever had a hateful thought about somebody, or gotten angry, or spoken out of anger, That's a whole different story. Right? Jesus says, unless your righteousness is better than the Pharisees, you will never, ever enter the kingdom of heaven. He tells them pretty quickly that your righteousness isn't better than the Pharisees. In fact, he says, your righteousness has got to be better than what you're claiming and they've got a standard that's not that high and you're not following it. I've got a standard that's higher than that and nobody can make it. How many of you ever heard of a guy named Two-Gun Crowley? Have you ever heard of Two-Gun Crowley? Yeah, me neither until today. In 1931, Two-Gun Crowley was one of America's most wanted before they had the TV show when they just had the posters in the post office, right? He was charged with a string of brutal homicides, including killing a cop, 
He was finally captured in New York City after a fierce hour-long gun battle from his girlfriend's apartment that involved hundreds of police. Can you imagine what Twitter and NBC News would have been doing with that? When the police searched him, they found a blood-spattered note that read, Under my coat is a weary heart, but a kind one, one that would do nobody any harm. You know what we call that? A lie. What we call that? And the truth is, his heart was unkind. And he did want to do somebody harm because he did. But the issue is, you and I are more similar to two gun than we want to admit. We have unkind hearts and we don't know it. There's something wrong deep in our hearts, deep at the core of who we are, that causes us to be takers of life, destroyers of life rather than givers, that causes hatred to grow and for words to be said in the company of people and out of their company where we tear down and get rid of and diminish and demean. The Old Testament and the New Testament, interestingly, begins with murderers. You ever think about that? Who's the murderer at the beginning of the Old Testament? Cain. Who's the murderer at the beginning of the New Testament? Herod. Cain murdered Abel. Herod murdered the boys of Bethlehem. Why? Because they couldn't bear for someone else to have precedence over them. They didn't understand the unshakable love and identity that comes with being known by God. Jesus says, listen, if you want to follow me, you have to be about life. And not just a phrase, sanctity of life, that gets thrown around in political conversation to say that we're on one side or the other, but people that actually not only value people breathing in and breathing out, but value the people understanding the reason for which they breathe in and breathe out and the reason they were created and that life is not just walking across this earth for your term to serve whatever amount of time is here, but that it is the purpose of glorifying and praising God and that true meaning and true life only comes from following Him with all that we have. Sanctity of life is more than just let's keep the heart beating. It is let's remind people the reason for which they were created and let us help them to discover the Creator who loves them. And oftentimes when we have hatred in our heart for any person, we find ourselves on the opposite side of the Lord. And it's not easy. People do horrific things. We say that on kind of a national scale with something like what happened in Boston. How could they ever do that? That's right. But we also experience it on personal levels. Not necessarily in bombing happening, but in people saying things that we have no idea how they could say that. People making decisions that hurt others and they know that it's going to hurt others. We see it in ourselves when we make decisions or say things that we think, why in the world did I do that? Yet the Lord calls us on a regular basis to review who we are and to understand what life is all about and that murder is more than just the physical act of taking another life. Jesus wants us to be people who value others as much as the Lord values. Go and be reconciled with your brother. Then come and offer the gift. Jesus begins with this concept of life because it's at the heart 
of everything that matters. Next week, we're going to go to another subject that he ratchets up the pressure in a major way for the people that are around. 